All right, all right. Good morning. As Pastor Micah mentioned just a moment ago, we are wrapping up our series, How to Live Again. I'm really excited to be able to share this message with you today. You know, sometimes the storms of life are blowing in and all kinds of things happen to us and we have to reorient ourselves around some important truths. And that's what we've been working through in this series. And over the last two weeks, we've talked about a couple important topics. One, we talked about how to believe again. Believing again has everything to do with the faith that God has put into us and directing that faith towards him. And then we talked about how to dream again. And that was oriented around having hope again for the things that God's promised and the things that God's doing in our life. Well, today, wrapping up this series, we're talking about how to love again. And the whole series, including today, was really inspired by a scripture out of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You may be familiar with this. It says this, so now faith, hope, and love abide. That means they remain. These three, but the greatest of these, well, the greatest of these is love, Love's a big topic, and a lot of people throw that word around, and I'm not convinced that everybody knows what God intends for us to understand about that word. The world has really defined love in a way that one who follows Jesus wouldn't. As a matter of fact, love as we know it, as as believers, as Christians, we believe that love has this deep meaning, a sense of depth that sometimes the way that society defines it, it really doesn't capture the truest sense of that word. As a matter of fact, often the word is misused. For instance, I love that chicken from Popeye's. I do. I really do. I love it. I love that crispy, spicy, greasy chicken from Popeye's. But I wonder if me using love to define my affection for that food might demean the word's value just a little bit, right? Now, I know why Popeye's chose to use the word love. It's because I like that chicken from Popeye's. wouldn't be as marketable. So I get it. But we've got to think, what is love's truest meaning? It's also misused, right? If you think about how people suggest that someone who actually loves behaves, they suggest that one who loves is tolerant of all things, is accepting and affirming of all things. And the way that I understand love, it doesn't mean that I affirm all things. It means that I accept the person, but I still have to have my convictions and love a person despite those things. So it's misused and it's often abused. It's abused. So many people find themselves pursuing romantic relationships, whether it's for companionship or oftentimes even for physical relationship. And that abuse of something that was intended to be pure oftentimes gives people a misunderstanding of what the truest sense of the word love really means. Now, The enemy has really played a major part in redefining the word love, but the enemy has also stolen our ability to accept love and and offer love in a way that is reflecting its truest sense because we've often not experienced or known love the way that we should. Now, I'm not just throwing that out there. That's, uh, that's my experience. That's many of your experiences, maybe. Maybe you're sitting on the couch right now, driving in your car. You're thinking, yeah, you know, I've, 
I've probably had some bad examples of love, love in my life, right? But it's not just our experience. It's even some of the data that's out there suggests that many people who've never received the proper love in the most formidable years of their life, they have this deficit in their ability to offer or receive love that they've never experienced or known. See, the ability to love really isn't as natural as it may seem to some. Actually, it's something that that needs to be learned in many ways. And so what we want to do today is we want to look at the way that we understand love, the way that the Bible defines love. And I believe as we look at the scripture, we're going to get a much clearer picture of what love is. So that begs the question, what is love? Well, as we look at these next few verses, we're going to see some very specific characteristics that define love. 1 Corinthians 13, we're going back to where we started, but a few verses earlier. And it says this, love is patient patient and kind. That's despite whether or not others are patient or kind with us, right? Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. And maybe you're sitting in your living room right now thinking, ooh, man, that kind of hit me. Maybe, maybe sometimes I don't reflect love the way that the scripture is telling me that love should look. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. It's unfailing. And this is the standard that God has set for us in our life. Now, this word love that we see in these scriptures, this is not the love that the world has defined as love. This is a love that comes from God. This is a love that is defined as agape love in the scriptures. And this word agape, it means unconditional. It means that there's not one thing that someone could do to cause that love to cease. Not only does it mean unconditional, it means benevolent. And benevolence is ultimately this expression of kindness and goodness, right? And so agape love is unconditional kindness and goodness being offered to others. Now, interestingly, this love is not achieved in its own strength. Now, I don't want you to get me wrong here because I know that we can choose to, to behave these ways in many ways. However, uh, we all have a capacity to love, and in that capacity to love, we have some limitations. Now, the reason we have that capacity to love is because we're all made in the image of God. And so we have a capacity to look a little bit like God. But because we're limited, whereas God is unlimited, we are finite, whereas God is infinite, we have some limitations. And so though we're made in the image of God, we need to understand where that love really is coming from. So I want you to imagine for just a second a paintbrush. Imagine an artist holding his or her paintbrush. That paintbrush is an instrument in the artist's hands. If you look at the bristles, they're empty, but they have a capacity, right? And so what that artist does is that artist submerses that paintbrush in the paint, a medium that that artist will then take and use that brush filled up with that paint to apply to the canvas to accomplish something beautiful. We're a lot like that paintbrush. We're instruments in God's hand with a capacity, but God wants to submerse us in his love so that he, like an artist, the most wonderful artist, can take and apply us to relationships and to this world and to offer them something beautiful, to offer them his kindness, his goodness, his love. 
And as we do that, we receive the love of God we, and, and we grow in the love of God. And the way that we do that is by abiding in Christ. That word abide, that means remain. These three things remain, faith, hope, and love. And, and as, as we remain in Christ, those things remain in us. If we abide in Christ, we will bear fruit that reflects his nature. And Jesus, he's love. You say, well, hold up. What do you mean Jesus is love? How do you get there? Well, because Jesus is God and God is love. And when we live from an overflow of the abiding love of Christ in us, we can live in a way that honors God and honors people. Unfortunately, we often live out of something else. We often live out of fear. Love and fear are two of the most powerful forces that we could know or experience in this world. And we live fueled by either love or fear. And you might be thinking, oh yeah, I I generally live out of love. Or maybe you're thinking, I, I generally tend towards fear. Well, we vacillate sometimes. Even someone who might live more from love or more from fear, we might have the other thing going on as well. We vacillate. We go back and forth. But God leads us in love, not fear, because it's who God is. It's his very nature. And so that's how he engages us. And we get a clear picture of that in another scripture. It's 1 John chapter 4. It says, God is love. And whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. There we see that word agape again. That word for love is agape. This is not, this is not erotic or brotherly love. This is love that comes from God. And they're inseparable, God in love. He said, whoever lives in love lives in God. This is how we how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. And he unfolds for us how we can have that confidence. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So we're like Jesus in this world. If we're in God, we like Jesus, we can walk in love. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. And so the way God sees us in Christ is he sees us as perfect. He sees us as redeemed, as made whole. He sees us as the righteousness of God in Christ. We are perfected in love in Christ. Now, in all of this world, there are many people who unfortunately at this time are not in Christ and in the heart of any man who doesn't know Jesus, who doesn't know God, there's this seed of fear of judgment. Now, they might not tell you that. They might not say, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm worried about judgment. As a matter of fact, they'll usually look for other ways to, to explain away the fact that there is a pending judgment on those who are outside of God. But one who is in Christ one who knows the love of Christ, he shouldn't fear because that person knows that the wrath of God, the judgment of God is literally satisfied in and through the perfect work of Christ and that we, as we are in Christ, have no fear of that judgment. It's like if you go back to the paintbrush again. Imagine God taking Jesus his son, yes, Jesus is God, but he's also 100% man in the flesh. And, and Jesus becomes the paintbrush 
in God's hands. And Jesus is submersed in his own blood, takes that blood upon the bristles of that brush and brushes them across the canvas of our lives for those who have put their trust in Jesus. And now we are this beautiful creation that is regenerated in and through the work of Christ. And we don't have to fear. Isn't that good news? I think that's wonderful news. The reality of it is that because God leads us in love and not fear, we can walk in love and not fear. Now, I mentioned earlier that the one who fears is not made perfect in love. And so you say, well, sometimes I deal with fear. Well, let me tell you why. It's because though God sees us in Christ as perfected, we are still attached to this world. We're still attached to our fleshly bodies, right? I still got this broken thing going on here. I got these injuries. I've got all these issues, right? We're eternal in God's eyes, yet we're tethered to this world. And so you will still have imperfect experiences, though you are perfected in God's eyes. And so you can rest in that. But we also have to not only rest in that, we have to acknowledge that and deal with that. Now, I did want to mention something else. Fear of judgment is not the only fear that people deal with. You may have fear in your heart over many different things. You may have fear in your heart over a coming storm, over the safety of your family. You may have fear in your heart over the economic circumstances that you or our nation are finding ourselves in. You may have fear over what's happening all throughout the world. You may have fear over a wayward child. You may have fear over many different things. And that fear is also unnecessary in Christ because his perfect love not only casts out fear, but he's not given us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and sound-mindedness. And so as we're thinking through this, we want to ask some questions. You might be sitting in the living room right now saying, okay, give it to me. And some of you might be like, man, I'm not jiving with this already. You're, you've got this message about stuff I'm really not interested in. Can I, can I just ask you to, to stay with me for a little while because I think there's something in this for you. You might not even believe the claims of the Bible. You not, might not believe in Jesus, but you can still ask this question. Am I fueled by love or fear? Now, if you were to be honest, you're probably thinking about someone else right now. Is my wife or my husband fueled by love or fear? Are my kids or are my parents or are my coworkers or whoever else you have running through your mind? I wonder if they're fueled by love or fear, but that's not who we're focused on right now. We're actually wanting to focus on ourselves. I'm literally asking this question of myself right now. Am I fueled by love or fear? Take responsibility as we walk through this. Now, we're going to explore some behaviors, and you should know that behavior is often evidence of what is actually fueling us, right? I've got a generator in my garage, and every now and then I'll pull that generator out to start it to make sure that it's running properly. I'll put some fuel that I found in the garage. It's usually a little older, right? Put that fuel in there, start that, that generator up, and you know what happens? It starts to spit and sputter because the fuel that I used is old. So I can do a couple things. I can run some sea foam through it, right? Clean up the carburetor. Maybe I can take that fuel out, run some new fuel through. And you know what's going to happen? That motor is going to begin to behave differently. It's going to run more efficiently. And, and our lives are the same way. Whatever we're fueled by is going to cause us to have different behaviors in our heart. And the posture of our heart can be measured by how we influence, treat, and respond to people. 
And so we're going to explore some things. If, if you operate out of love, you are most likely more motivational. You most likely have a heart to empower people, right? But if you operate out of fear, you might tend to manipulate relationships a little bit, looking to control outcomes. If you operate out of love, you might be more affirming, looking to build up the people in your life. But if you operate out of fear, you may have a tendency towards criticism. You might always be critical of what people around you are or are not doing, and you tear them down. Maybe if you're operating out of love, you're more gentle. You're more caring for people. But if you operate out of fear, you might be a little more harsh. You might tend to to be a little more hurtful in the way that you communicate with people. If you're operating out of love, you might have more empathy in your heart for that person, where you are identifying with that person's experience. You're identifying with that person's story. You're more sensitive to where they're at in their life. You're more sensitive to their needs. You're loving them. But if you operate out of fear, you might spend more time judging people, magnifying your self-interest, magnifying your own story, talking about why your plight matters so much instead of being empathetic towards others. If you're operating out of love, you might have more compassion. Compassion is when you feel this almost a a gut-wrenching sickness about the brokenness of people's lives, about the brokenness of the world, and and, and, and you're just burdened for people. It's a good thing. Compassion is a good thing. But if you're operating out of fear, you might tend to be more condemning. Condemning means you're usually looking at people with less warmth. You're maybe more cold-hearted towards those people, maybe more detached from their circumstances, maybe even detached from the reality of what's happening in the world around us, and you're condemning people, setting them up with unreasonable expectations, and when they miss your expectations, well, you just label them as a failure, don't you? Then there's positivity. If you're more loving, you might be more positive. Where you're thinking the best of people. You're going into circumstances like, hey, you know what? I'm going to choose today to believe that this person has my best interest in heart. I'm going I'm to choose to believe that though maybe we don't vibe on every last detail of every last part of the conversation, that this person genuinely is looking to be a team player with me. We're genuinely looking to work together, man. I'm going to think the best of someone. But if you're operating out of fear, you might have more of a negative disposition where you actually go into a situation assuming the worst. How many of you have done that? I can't see your hands, and that's okay, but you, you feel almost compelled to raise your hand even though you're sitting in your living room or driving in your car because you, you can almost own that immediately, right? You're like, yeah, I've gone into situations. And, and I had this reel playing in my mind of what was going to happen. And I actually set the tone of the interaction, the engagement with that person based on my presupposition that's based in negativity and fear. I'm assuming the worst. Can you relate? Maybe if you're operating out of love, you are more merciful. You don't intend to drop the hammer on people when they make mistakes. You don't intend to to come down on them as much as you intend to lift them up. You don't intend to, maybe they even deserve it. Maybe they've done something that, that has violated trust. Maybe they've done something that has violated ethics. And, and you're merciful, and so you choose to extend mercy. That's a loving response. But some people operate out of fear, and rather than being merciful, we put guilt on people. 
And we see people's failures. And, and something inside of us, just we just want that person to feel shame. We even say things like, you should be ashamed of yourself. And, and there's things that should stir shame in us. But I think God is powerful enough to move in someone's life and to cause them to recognize the things that are in their life that are shameful. We don't need to add shame to their failures, right? We don't need to guilt trip them. Maybe there's some accountability needed. Maybe there's some encouragement needed. Maybe there's some correction needed. But, but shame is not for us to put on people. How about this? If you're operating out of love, you might be more giving. How about, are you, are you blessed to be a blessing? <laughs> I see that on social media sometimes. Blessed to be a blessing. And then, and then we give, and then we kind of regret. Because we're maybe not operating out of love, right? Maybe we're more like wanting to take. Well, I'm going to give with the intent to receive if, if I'm going to give. And so we've got a bunch of takers running around, maybe operating out of fear. Now, I, I just want to stop for a minute because I know some of you actually have legitimate needs. And, and you should, in certain seasons, be taking. And there's people that are generous and wanting to offer and be a blessing. And so don't get this twisted and misunderstand. There's times where we have needs and we should receive. It's a blessing to receive as well. But I think you know what I'm talking about when I'm talking about takers. I'm talking about people that live with a scarcity mindset, people that live with a poverty mindset, as if, as if all of the resources of the world, as if all of the resources of the kingdom of God were going to expire, and, and you have to hold on to them tight and keep gathering things into your own, your own collection, your own storehouse because we have fear. Maybe you're operating out of love in your relationships with your children as you walk through discipline. You know, discipline, some people think that discipline itself is unloving. Discipline is not unloving. God disciplines those whom he loves. That's what his word says. And so as parents, we should discipline those whom we love but the way we discipline and the heart of discipline, our approach to discipline, where we lead in with love and we help our children understand, look, I hate to have to apply a sting to your life right now, but this sting is going to help you remind, be a reminder of the consequences of crossing boundaries that could literally lead to your destruction, whether it's emotional, spiritual formation, or even physical things. Discipline is loving because you're helping someone see something they can't, and you're giving for them a monument, a reminder of something that they ordinarily wouldn't remind, remember on their own. But a lot of people operate out of fear, and that's why we see so much abuse. There's abuse from parents to children where there's trauma inflicted on a child because you're fearful and you're trying to control outcomes and manipulate the situation because you believe that fear is the way to actually create the atmosphere that you want. But that's not the way to create that atmosphere. Emotional trauma and physical trauma is not of God. That's not what he intended. And so we can live out of love, not fear. But the challenge is, is that we vacillate on these things, right? We go back and forth. And my intent is not for you to find yourself in condemnation right now, but my intent is to encourage you to examine your own heart. Allow God to examine your heart. Do you trust God? Do you trust that he is love, that he, he disciplines in love? And so as we explore these things, do you trust that as he confronts the brokenness in your life, confronts your fearful responses, that he confronts those things that are not pleasing to him, that he's doing it out of love? I think we should trust that he is. And, and God is ultimately the plumb line over our lives. 
He drops that plumb line and he measures us against it. And he knows we will deviate at times, but he's calling us back to alignment with him and what his character is. And so what we want to do over the next few minutes, we want to explore a few things. We want to explore as a, on a personal level, if we've been operating out of fear, what do we do if we've been operating out of fear? That's a question you can ask yourself right now, and I want to provide just a couple suggestions. This isn't the totality of, of a response to operating out of fear, but this is a good place to start. Number one, I encourage you to repent. Repent before God. Turn away from things that are ungodly towards things that are godly. Repentance simply means turning away from something towards something else. And if something grieves the heart of God, like operating out of fear rather than his love, then we should turn from that towards what he's calling us to. We should repent. And now's a good time. Now's a good moment. You shouldn't wait till later. You can literally quiet your heart. I'm talking right now. And, and even as I'm talking, you could be praying, God, forgive me for that. I turn from that towards you. Now that's between you and God. The second thing I want to encourage you to do is ask for forgiveness to those that your fear may have affected, that your behavior may have affected. You might be sitting on the couch next to someone right now and you're recognizing, I have been loving you out of fear. I've been leading in my home out of fear. I've been engaging you in conversation out of fear. Will you forgive me? I'm sorry, and you know what? I know I'm imperfect, and I know I'm going to continue to make mistakes, but I'm going to continue to seek Jesus, to abide in Jesus, to seek his grace out so that I can live in a way that honors you, so I can live out of love. Please forgive me. That's a good thing to ask of the people whom you've offended, even for the little things. The third thing I want to encourage you about is to allow 1 Corinthians chapter 13, what we just walked through, to be a filter for your future responses in relationships. And not just 1 Corinthians 13, but all of the scripture. The scripture is profitable for training in righteousness and godliness. As, as we look to to live our lives out of love, we need an example, a standard, and God has provided that example for us in the scriptures. Jesus is the word made flesh, but he's also the word on paper. His character is found in the scriptures. His, the truth is found in the scriptures, and as we meditate on the truth, as we think about these things, as we conscientiously decide to choose love and not fear, I'm choosing to, to be merciful, not vengeful. I'm choosing to be compassionate, not judge. As I make decisions to choose, I'm re-patterning my mind after the mind of God. And we have to go on that journey of mind renewal. So that's for you if you've been operating out of fear and it's been impacting other relationships. What if, though you've either not been operating out of fear or you've been operating out of fear, but more so you've been treated by someone who is operating out of fear in a harmful way. What do I do if I've been treated unlovingly in a fear-fueled way? Well, I'm going to share something that I think might be difficult for some of you to accept, especially if you've experienced some of those harder things that I went through earlier, those characteristics of someone who's living out of fear. There's a lot of pain maybe. Maybe there's some abuse that's been part of your story. Maybe there's, maybe there's a fear response in you because of the person putting that fear on you and in you. Maybe your struggle choose to forgive, even if they don't apologize. 
I know that's hard. Some major offenses have taken place in people's lives. And you're thinking, how could I ever forgive that person for what they did to me? How could I ever release them and let them go? You know, we've said from this platform before that holding on forgiveness in your heart is like lighting yourself on fire and expecting the person who you're not forgiving to die from smoke inhalation. It's self-defeating. We've heard another pastor say this, I think the first step is to understand that forgiveness does not exonerate the perpetrator. Forgiveness liberates the victim. It doesn't let them off the hook of what they've done. It doesn't enable you to stop remembering what they've done. It doesn't cause them to no longer have to stand before their maker and give account for what they've done. But what it does do is it liberates you. Forgiveness is powerful. And the scripture also says that those whom are forgiven much by God forgive much. And because I know it's such a sensitive thing for you, I just want to encourage you, while you may not sense the grace in your heart right now to forgive and release someone who's offended you, can I just, can I just challenge you to not be that person who says, I will never forgive them for what they did, but just be open to the possibility that maybe, just maybe, God's grace is powerful enough to empower you to be able to forgive and release that person and just stay open-minded and tender-hearted towards the possibility of what God can do in your life. He did it for me. There was a time in my life where there was people who I simply would not and I couldn't ever imagine forgiving until the grace of God met me where I was and I released that person and I found forgiveness and healing. The second thing, we want to go on the journey towards healing. Now, here at Northwood Church, we believe that in the context of community, where we're confessing our faith, we're confessing our hope, and oftentimes even confessing our sins, where we're in authentic, vulnerable community with people in relationships that, that we can go on the journey of healing. And so we emphasize services where people are connecting. We emphasize small groups where people are connecting. We also emphasize you just being a human being, and I know some people struggle to connect with people, but just go shake someone's hand and make a friend and set a coffee date because it could lead you on your journey towards healing. And that's all good. But there's one space in particular where I really want to encourage you to consider as you pursue your journey of healing, and that's something called Freedom Small Groups. Freedom Small Groups are something we've been doing here at Northwood Church for a long time. And we have seen a lot of people come into those environments, be loved on by their leaders and the people in that group, walk through scriptures, walk through truths, walk through this process of discovering what the enemy's done in you and what God is doing in you, right? And learning to live again in the way that God intended. And you actually still have time to sign up. You can sign up today. Today's the last day. It's the cutoff date for freedom for this semester. I want to encourage you to take advantage of the opportunity to get in the freedom. You can go to northwood.church slash small groups and you can find freedom signups there. I do want you to know, though, that broken bones heal much quicker than shattered souls. And the reason I say that, as negative as it kind of feels when you hear it, is that we need to be open to a process that takes time. And one of the wonderful things about Northwood Church, this faith community, is that you've got a lot of people surrounding you. Maybe you're in your living room right now, but next Sunday we'll be back in service. And if you haven't joined us for a service sometime, I would encourage you to come and join us because you'll experience exactly what I'm going to tell you. 
but you'll be surrounded by people who are willing to be patient with you as you go on that journey of healing. The third thing I want to mention is the same thing I mentioned to the previous person. Allow 1 Corinthians 13 to be a filter for your future responses. Allow the scripture to be a filter for how you engage people, whether you've been the person living out of fear or you've been offended by that person and now it's stirred in you brokenness and pain. Let the scriptures be your standard. And then the fourth thing, and this is where we're going to begin moving towards wrapping things up today. The fourth thing is that you would allow yourself to receive love again. In my experience, the pain of the rejection, the abandonment, the disappointment, the trespass, the broken trust, the, the violence, the anger, the harshness that I've experienced over the years in different environments, all of those things collectively cause me to want to allow my heart to be calloused and to begin to erect walls and to not be open to truly receiving love. But that's not God's plan for your life. As a matter of fact, God wants you to experience not only people's love, but his love. And I know you need to use wisdom when navigating maybe abusive relationships and opening yourself back up. But don't let that keep you from opening yourself up to the blessing of the love of God. At the end of the day, agape love, right? That unconditional, benevolent kindness of God. That agape love is represented most perfectly and most beautifully in the person of Jesus. God chose to demonstrate his love to us through Jesus. We read in Romans chapter 5 some of my favorite truths in all of the Bible. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. God shows his love for us, for you, in that while you were still a sinner, while you were still an enemy of God, still hated the things of God, while you still were apart from God, while you were still running from him, while you were still pursuing a life of ungodliness, while you were still making your bed in hell, Jesus died for you. Can you receive that truth today? Can you receive that expression of love? Can you receive the forgiveness that comes through that love today? You know, we can't easily give something which we've never known or experienced. And we talk about loving people. Go love that person. Go love this person. We need to love well. But you'll never be able to love in the way that God calls you to love if you don't first know and experience the love of the Father and His Son through the, the grace that He brings about upon our hearts through His Spirit. To love others with the love of God, you've got to know Jesus. And now's a perfect opportunity for you if you've never known Jesus to open your heart to His love for you. To open your heart to his grace for your life and to forgiveness that causes the love of Jesus, his perfect work that he accomplished on the cross, his shed blood, 
for all of that grace, love, and the power of his blood to be painted across the canvas of your life, of your heart. And now is your chance to receive it. Will you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you so much for your grace. We thank you so much for your mercy. You love us in a way that no one else can. And that love is unconditional and good and kind and infinite. It's unfailing. And we rejoice over it now. We celebrate that love. And we want to walk in it. We want to receive it today. We want to be refreshed in it today. Lord, for those that are watching online, maybe, maybe they're driving in a car and they're actually feeling you cover them in your love. And they're pulling over to the side of the road right now or they're, they're putting aside all the other distractions that, that are surrounding them right now and they're just resting in your love. And you're telling them that though you are imperfect, you're telling them that though you have been away from me, though you have been a stranger to me, though you've not known me, though you've not loved me, I love you anyway. And I'm your father and you are my son or daughter. If you're sensing that in your heart right now, that God is speaking to you in that way, all you have to do is say, yes, Lord. Confess maybe even with your mouth, Jesus, you are Lord. I believe, Jesus, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you were raised to new life. You were resurrected. And now in you, in your love, in your forgiveness, I can experience the resurrection life of Jesus. Just agree with that right now. I lay down all of my brokenness at your feet. I say yes to going on the journey of healing with you, Jesus. I say yes to forgiveness. I say yes to wholeness. I say yes to your love. I say yes to you teaching me how to live again. I surrender in Jesus' name. Come on, if you agree with that prayer, just say amen right now. Just say amen. God is so faithful. I don't know if you're aware of this, but when, when someone surrenders their life to Jesus, all of heaven is in an uproar celebrating with us right now. Wherever you're at, why don't you go ahead and begin to celebrate for those people right now that just surrendered their life to Jesus. And we worship you, Jesus, for that. We worship you, God, for your love.